Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today we're going to be talking about volunteering as a multi-academy trust trustee. Some of you might not be aware, but at Governors for Schools, we not only recruit governors, but we also have a trustee recruitment service where we help match multi-academy trusts with the perfect volunteers. I'm joined today by Danielle and Emma, and we're going to find out what it means to volunteer as a trustee in terms of how you might become one, what sort of things you'd expect to be doing, and in general, how Emma, in particular, became to be a trustee. So, Danielle, could you just start off by introducing yourself for everyone, please? Hi, I'm Danielle. I work as the Partnerships Manager for the Governor's Schools Trustee Recruitment Service covering the north of England. So Danielle is my counterpart. I cover the South. She's my better work half. And Emma, would you mind just introduce yourself as well? Uh, Hello. So I'm Emma Hawker and I'm a trustee at a trust here in Southend where I live. Wonderful. Thank you. So now we've asked Emma to come and talk to us today as we want to try and kind of demystify what kind of person might be suitable or appropriate for a trustee role. Um, Emma often likes to hide her light under a bushel and like a lot of people didn't initially consider herself to be trustee material but she very much is for a variety of reasons that I'm hoping you'll come to hear about so we want to try and banish this lack of belief in people's skills that they might have and encourage more of you lovely people to apply so with all of that in mind Emma could you possibly start off by telling us a little bit about your trust Uh, So my trust is Southend East Community Academy Trust, or CCAT for short, uh, and it's made up of six six schools here in Southend, uh, and I think it's a really interesting mix. So in my trust, we've got, as I say, those six schools. There are three primary schools, an infant, a junior, and a secondary school, Uh, so a real range. And even though all of those schools are within a mile of each other, they all serve very different communities. So some of those schools serve more affluent communities, some of the the kind of better off areas in Southend, uh, and some of those schools serve more of the deprived areas in Southend. So even though they're all very close, it's a real uh, mix and really interesting dynamics going on there. So... Uh, It always makes meetings and things uh, really interesting to talk about because there's always so many different things going on. That is a really lovely, varied trust you've got there. You're very lucky with that. Danielle, could you just kind of highlight for everyone, if some people might not be aware, what exactly is a MAT? Yep, so a MAT is a multi-academy trust. So it is a group of schools, usually called an academy, Um, And they work as one entity, so one organisation to improve education. And contrary to popular belief, academies aren't private schools. They're not necessarily grammar schools where you have to pass an exam to get in. Um, It it literally is that they are just one organisation. So sometimes they share branding or policies or, you know, key things, but they are still individual schools. Yeah, I think academies get a bad rap a lot of the time, don't they? There's this preconceived notion about them and just none of it is true, really. They're just absolutely amazing. Um, I think I was going to ask Emma about what exactly does the government structure look like in your trust? 
Well, just to pick up on your point, actually, I just wanted to say that's one of the things that our trust is really strong on, mm. that the things that it makes sense for us to, to work together on and for those schools to come together on. Um, we do lots of that, particularly where it's around being a bit savvy when it comes to, to costs and making sure that financially, if we can kind of share that, that burden across the schools, that everyone's yeah. getting the best value for money. But there's this really strong desire in the trust that all of those schools still keep their inner identity, that they know about the communities that they serve and that they still kind of do that in the way that's right for them. So I think that's something really nice about about my trust, that they're kind of really keen to work together in the right way, but to still make sure that all of those schools have kind of got their own their own voice, their own identity. I think that's a really good point. I think the the ability to support each other and to um you know fill in the gaps where you know if you've got one school that's struggling with something and another school where actually they're really strong on that area they can like support each other or even the way that you divvy up the finances to make sure that all the schools and all the pupils in the trust are receiving the same support yeah I think it's really a benefit that some people overlook a little bit in a trust and I think that's one way that we really benefit from those schools being so close to one another so for example the trust has shared inset days where all of the staff can get together and I know I think it was the one they did earlier in the year so everyone came together at the secondary school because it had the biggest space and then in the afternoon all of those staff had kind of focused development sessions and they were based at the different schools. So staff got to go to a different school, they got to work with different colleagues from across the trust. And there was such positive feedback about being able to work with other colleagues uh, in a, across the trust and kind of work on some of those shared goals and things. So I think that's that's one way that we sort of try and make the most of uh, being geographically quite close. I know that's not the case for all trusts, but but it is for us, so we're quite lucky to try and enjoy that. That's amazing. I love that. That's so good for like just thinking outside the box, like seeing how different schools work and just getting new ideas. And even just for peer to peer development of the teachers, that's absolutely amazing. It's, we, we've just had such positive feedback about it. And I think that's definitely going to be uh, one of the directions that the trust tries to, to move in. So like I say, it's that, that kind of balance of not wanting to say to everyone, you know, everybody's working on this, everything is just the same because the staff in those schools know that each community is so different. But when there are opportunities for kind of peer support, peer learning, peer working, to really try and facilitate that across the schools, because I think the staff really enjoy it. It's really Mm -hmm. good for those pupils. And I think it's a really nice thing for, for kind of development and making the most of the expertise that we've got in school without necessarily always paying for lots and lots of external support to come in in terms of professional development because we've got brilliant people in the trust and we want to kind of enjoy that and and make the most of that and try and share that expertise with the staff so that's a really nice thing to see as a trustee that the kind of coming together and working together. It's really lovely to hear, Emma, how like involved you clearly are and how um, passionate you've become about working with this trust. It's so lovely. You're so involved that you feel that close to it. That's really, really lovely to hear. And that's the kind of thing we want people to hear as an opportunity for them. So thank you for saying all of that. Well, I've got to say our trust is so, so welcoming and open about any visits that we want to do, 
about going in and talking to any of the trust leadership. They're, they're so welcoming and so open. I think that's really reassuring as a trustee that they really want us to, to come in and to have conversations and know what's going on and ask questions. And it's it just makes it kind of so nice. So it's not, um, I think sometimes we talk in governance about effective challenge and it mm. sounds a bit kind of scary and confrontational, but actually it's not. It's kind of just having a chat, knowing what's going on, being involved, making sure that everything is is working the way it should and whether there's anything that kind of we as trustees can do to support that. And I think having such a good uh, open relationship with the trust leadership team, you know, the, the staff, it kind of makes all the difference. I know, Danielle, if we sat there thinking that sounds like an ideal trust, Danielle, with your governor's hat on, it sounds like good leadership to me, doesn't it? So off the back of that, Emma, a bit of a two-part question, I guess. You say you get to go into the schools and things, which people are always really excited about. Um, Do you get to talk to the local governors at each academy as well? Is there like an opportunity for that? And I guess the follow-up question, or the question that should have been before, is... (laughs) what does the governance structure look like in your trust so you know what do the layers that sit below your trust board look like uh so obviously like like all trusts we kind of have the the members that you know we don't uh necessarily speak to that often Uh, and then i sit on the trust board with my fellow trustees and there are eight of us i believe including the ceo uh, of the trust who sits on the trust board with us and then each of the schools have an academy committee, or that's what we call them. It's kind of the local governance layer. So that that kind of board that focuses particularly on issues for each of those schools. Uh, and we have one of those uh, at each school. And we have been reviewing recently our scheme of delegation. So that kind of sets out what everyone, each layer of governance is doing. And we've been working with the... Uh, volunteers from the local academy committee boards to kind of work out making sure there's a clear focus so that all of those volunteers know what they're doing so when they go in for school visits they've got a really clear focus and looking at how we can make sure that communication between all of those layers is really effective so we've been thinking about that at the moment Uh, and we've just um, asked our local kind of governance layer Uh, So we're going to kind of name those governors academy committee representatives uh, just to make sure that the the layers are kind of really clear because we wanted to make sure that all of the trustees knew what they were doing and that everyone at that local level made sure that they knew what they were doing because obviously in an academy trust it's a little bit different to maintain schools where different kind of layers of government uh, governance take over different responsibilities if that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. So for anyone who might be listening who doesn't understand, um, maintain schools are your kind of your normal community schools. They have a head teacher. They have a board of governors that sits alongside them. Um, they're governed slightly differently in that they don't have a trust board. And they don't have um, a scheme of delegation. So um, it's just that's what Emma was explaining. Thank you. That's it. I don't know if I did this not that of, of explaining, but we have um, our kind of main trust board. So everyone who meets and gets together with all of the trustees where we focus on those kind of different um, issues and things. But we've also got our audit, finance and risk uh, committee, 
uh, and that's made up of some of the trustees on the trust board. And they focus particularly on some of the finance elements of things. Uh, and so that's removed a little bit from the local governance layer. And it sits at the trust layer. So they look at that for all of the schools. Um, and we're very fortunate to have lots of brilliant trustees on that who have a whole range of kind of different experience from different kind of financial professional backgrounds and things. So that really helps. Uh, and we also have a curriculum and pupil matters committee. Uh, and that's the one that I sit on in addition to the main trust board. And we focus on, as it would suggest, things that relate to the curriculum uh, and people matters. So lots of kind of safeguarding bits, well-being, all sorts of things like that. So lots of really interesting kind of bits to get into. And it allows us to, to focus a little bit more on certain important topics across the trust. It also means that by the trust board taking on some of those responsibilities, uh, the local academy committee representatives can really focus on the plan that each school has for improvement and making sure that when they go in to see what's happening in school, they can really just concentrate on what the school are doing to improve and making sure that they're seeing all of the wonderful stuff in action. Thank you. Yeah, that's it's lovely. I think it's so lovely to hear you two sounding so knowledgeable. You've broken down there and and made it sound simple but I think it's important to mention as well that you to become a trustee you don't necessarily have to have a background in education you don't even need to necessarily understand everything we're talking about here or, or intricacies of the structures and things like that it's it's not 100% do not have to be an educationalist to become a trustee some trusts are looking for that skill set but others are looking for things in like finance, HR, general strategic leadership. So I don't know, Danielle, you, it's, it's something we talk about a lot, isn't it? You don't have to have this background in education to become a trustee. And that's something we don't want to be a barrier for people looking to volunteer. Definitely. And it it always sticks with me. One of my previous managers that I've worked with, and I, for those that don't know, my background is in educational governance. Um but we spoke about the avoiding groupthink and the importance of making sure that you've got the different perspectives because it's it's good to ask those questions that in your head you might think are a bit stupid or you should know the answer to because actually there's a lot of assumed knowledge in the education space. It's a sector full of jargon just like any other sector but it, it's got its own unique jargon um, and it's really important to have people from different backgrounds different walks of life different um, different professional roles because you'll all approach the same piece of information differently and interpret it differently um, so yeah that's what we really try and push for at governance for schools as well is making sure that all boards in education are as diverse as they can be to make sure that they're representative yeah absolutely we want you to feel empowered within your boards that we sit you within to ask the again in inverted air commas stupid questions like we want you to yeah. ask those questions and feel strong enough to ask those questions because that is what you're there 
to do and good leadership will be accepting of that and use it as a chance to better themselves and to better the trusts you're within so yes we want our trustees to feel empowered in that sense Oh, definitely. I think there are there are often times in a meeting where I think, oh, I don't know if this is a silly question or not, but I don't know the answer, so I'm going to ask it. And I've never once been made to feel silly or daft for asking that question. Every response is always, you know, really positive and, and welcoming and, you know, people are always happy to explain things. So even though I worry about, you know, oh, am I going to seem a bit silly? No one else seems to, to be bothered by that at all. So that's really nice. That's and I bet, so lovely. I bet there are people in your meetings that are so thankful that you've asked that question as well, because I'm always that person that's like, please, somebody ask this question. I have had someone say to me, I said, I'm really glad you asked that, actually. <laughs> definitely, definitely can be really helpful. And when I think about our trust board, we have such a range of people on there. So we've got uh, all different ages, different professions, you know, everything really. So we've got someone with um, a long kind of business and finance background. We've got someone from IT. We do have someone who uh, works in education. We've got, um, I think, a financial crime specialist from Deloitte. Uh, our chair, who, um, or she was our ex-chair. She was a, a lawyer, did lots of stuff for the Law Society. So we just have a huge range of various you know, expertise and insights and it's so, so helpful because quite often someone will come at something with a different perspective based on their experience that's different from mine. And I thought, well, yeah, now you've said that, that's a really good question or a really interesting way to look at it. So I learn a lot, actually, from being on a board with such different people and different kind of backgrounds and, you know, different take on things. So it's it's really, really great. Uh, and we do have one of the trustees that joined a little while after I did, he's in his kind of early to mid 20s, which I think is another thing. People always assume that trustees are kind of older and retired. Definitely not always the case. Uh, and I think he has some some brilliant kind of insights into things. And because he went to school in South End, he often has a perspective on kind of local things that some of the other trustees wouldn't necessarily have. So it, it just kind of shows, I think, how important it is to have such a different range of views and experiences and insights into things. It's kind of the best way, I think, to make sure that you're really doing the, the right kind of job. And like Danielle says, not having that kind of group think where you all just nod and agree and nothing ever really gets discussed or debated or kind of scrutinised. Couldn't agree more. We need this wonderful outside perspective that everyone else can bring. Um, with that in mind, what do I would love to be a fly on the wall in your meetings? What do your meetings actually look like at your trust? Because who attends them? How long do they go on for? Is it possible for people to attend remotely? Because we have a lot of trusts now. I think it's worth mentioning that are happy for people to just be remote trustees that is an option we can offer you um, but what do your meetings look like Emma? Well actually all of our meetings are remote they're all held over teams uh, in our trust just because I think it it worked out really well for everybody like I say we've got lots of people with various professional backgrounds on the board and it just made it so much easier for people to attend those remotely so that you know they can still go to work and make the meetings and things they've got to work but lots of people who kind of travel into London 
because of where we are not that far from London people who have to travel in for work so joining a meeting remotely just makes it so much more accessible for them um, and then you know people are able to I think attend more meetings than perhaps they might if they were uh, all in person so I think that works really well for us we've spent some time kind of working on our online meeting etiquette to make sure that everyone kind of gets their bit in and can you know get their tech working and get their hands up so it, it works really well for us we have about one full trust board meeting every term and then one or two committee meetings each term depending on what's going on at that particular time whether they're kind of a certain topics that need a little bit more focus and those meetings last between an hour and a half and two hours uh, and i would say our um, governance professional who is such an essential part of the team she's really good at kind of making sure that we're sticking to time making sure that we're covering the things that we really have to to make sure that we've discussed um, and so in advance of that meeting uh, our governance professional sends out the agenda and all of the documents that we need to have uh, at least a week before she's really good she always kind of lets us know when everything is uh, on the central site that we use to access all of those documents to make sure that we've got plenty of time to read through all of those before the meeting uh, and quite often I think just just because I'm like this this is what I like to do when I've had a look at those papers if I have questions that I know I want to submit in advance I'll always kind of send those over to our governance professional and she's really good at sharing them with the trust leadership team so they can kind of start to prepare any responses ahead of time. Uh, well, I don't always manage to do that. Sometimes I don't have the time to do that, but everyone is always really good and is happy to answer any questions that I have uh, as the meeting goes on. So lots of the, the meeting is talking about some of the papers and reports that we've had. So we have a regular CEO reports uh, and he just kind of tells us about the key events that are happening across the trust. We pick out some bits of our strategic plan. So the plan where we're kind of looking at uh, what the trust is trying to achieve for all of those schools. And we pick out some of those elements and, and focus particularly on those and see what's kind of going on in relation to, to those bits uh, as well at our meetings. And that's really nice uh, because it lets us hear a bit more about things that are going on with the, the pupils. So it's not just kind of data, you know, lots of it is really interesting stories about things that, you know, the schools have been achieving and programmes that they're working on and initiatives and interventions that are going really well. Uh, so it's lots of uh, interesting stuff at those meetings. That does sound really interesting. And it's good that you've got the, um, the governance professional there keeping you on track. Emma, it it sounds like you're a, a dream trustee, honestly, submitting questions in advance. <laughs> That's every governance professional's dream. Um, realistically, how much time do you think you you give to the role? So, you know, kind of the prep work, the actual meeting time. I know it's really hard to kind of put a number to it, but realistically, what would you say that is? All right, let me have a think. I, I have to say, I don't I don't always manage to get all my questions over. <laughs> I do try whenever I can. Um, but no, our, our governance professional is good. She's really kind of accepting of all of that. So I'd say obviously the meeting time um, will be, I'd say what, a maximum of four hours across, I don't know, the term of three months or so. 
And I would say it probably takes me, I'd say a couple of hours to prepare for each of those meetings because I want to make sure that I've read all of the documents that I've thought carefully about any questions that I might have. Now I've been involved in governance for a little while. I don't have to look up uh, so many things, but sometimes a topic will come up and I think, oh, I'm just going to have a bit of a Google about that and find out a bit more about what that means in education. So occasionally uh, there's a bit of that. Uh, I think when I go and do a school visit, it depends on you know how much time the people at school have, but I would say I'm probably there for at least an hour and then I might spend another hour or so writing up uh, some notes and things. And I, to be honest, they're so welcoming and so lovely at the school that I could go in probably almost as much as I wanted because they're really, really nice. Um, but obviously I try not to do that too often because, you know, those local academy committee representatives, they want to get in as well. And obviously they've got lots and lots going on in school. They're busy trying to teach those kids. <laughs> so they don't want me in there too much. Um, but they are very understanding of the fact that some of the trustees find it easier than others because of work commitments and things to be able to get in so I do like to try and do at least kind of one school visit and then a write-up of that about once a term so that's that's maybe a couple of hours so what are we looking at here oh. I'd say about seven I reckon seven or eight hours at least yeah we, usually, we usually say when people ask don't we Danielle between seven yeah. to ten hours yeah but it will really vary there's certain times of year when it it will be more because we'll have like the safeguarding training and things that we need to do at the start of every year some meetings are a little bit lighter on some of that documentation because we have verbal presentations rather than written reports just that's one way that perhaps we can make it a little bit less time intensive on uh, the trust leadership team so it wouldn't necessarily be then that I've got something I need to beforehand but I'll you know listen out and then kind of ask my questions afterwards when it's something like that but then there's certain times of year where we have more policies to read and then that could be you know a bit longer because because some of those policies yes yeah. it's really important that they're they're read properly and they can be quite a few and I think one thing that we might start trying to do as a trust is looking at whether we can have some sort of strategy day type events uh, and that would be I think a really good thing to do I think that would give real clarity for the board on where that trust is going and although obviously that would be um, a bit more time I'm very fortunate in that my employer is very supportive of volunteer time and me being able to take out any time I need to, to go and do those things so, you know, being transparent, I think, with my employer about the time that I would need to do volunteer things, I think is a really uh, important, useful thing as well. Yeah, I think strategy days are a really great way for any sort of board to kind of reevaluate where they are. Like um, in my previous experience, um, you know, it's something you do on an annual basis and different schools and different trusts hold them at different times of the year some schools really love having them um first thing in the year to set themselves going whereas others would rather have them in kind of that easter spring period like just before the year's wrapping up ready to plan for the next year um but i think they're a really 
useful tool for trusts and trustees to to get on board with yeah and do you, in terms of time do you think it's fair to say that when you first started as a trustee um it, it took up more of your time with like training and onboarding that kind of stuff oh yeah I think that's that's definitely fair to say you know at the beginning I was also having more conversations with some of the other trustees just to help me understand what the trust was all about and kind of get me up to speed with things and and get a better understanding of how things worked in my trust so I had more time kind of talking to people about that I was doing some kind of induction training and to support that kind of thing Um, and as I was saying before things that kind of I didn't necessarily know so much about or wasn't always familiar with I was doing a bit more kind of uh, research around those things whereas now I'm more familiar with some of that stuff so I don't need to to do that every time new papers come out but yeah there are, there are certain times of year where there's just more going on and I know it's going to take a bit more of my time uh, in certain times of year where it's a bit quieter but uh, I think our our governance professional is really good at kind of helping set out and coordinate all of those meetings really far ahead of time so I've got plenty of time to kind of book that time out plenty of time to know I have to prepare for certain things plenty of time when I know I've got certain training that I I need to do so I'm quite lucky in that that sense they help keep me very (laughs) organised I think it's it's fair to say from listening to you talk Emma that is this is it's quite an undertaking so it's something serious for people to consider before they apply isn't it it's not just a figurehead role it's it's you're very very much involved in the proceedings and the strategic leadership direction of a trust so it's it's important to consider that before you sign up is that is that something you kind of grappled with yourself oh yeah I definitely had to think about whether it was something I could make the time to commit to I'm nothing I I was a local board governor before I joined the trust board so I had some sense of of kind of certain things that might take some time and, and what that kind of commitment might be but I really had to think about as you say it's really important it's so important to attend those meetings and to be really engaged I, I couldn't really be doing a proper job if I wasn't reading all of the documentation beforehand and, and engaging with all of that kind of stuff so I really wanted to make sure I had the time for it because this has the potential to help impact, you know, thousands of children in my local area. And I really yeah. want to do a good job with that. It's really important. So it's, you know, it's something I knew I wanted to commit to and to stick with. But like I say, having having conversations with my employer about the amount of time I thought I would need was really important. And they've been very kind of uh, supportive of that. And I think lots of I'm speaking to other trustees. Lots of employees are, as long as you're kind of uh, upfront with them about what that means and and making sure that it's all going to kind of work out and, you know, they can respect the time that I need to take for visits or meetings and things. Um, But no, definitely, definitely works worth some thought uh, to make sure. I think it's something you want to do as well, because actually some of those meetings are after work. So I think if I wasn't enthusiastic about doing it and didn't want to do it, it would be hard to do after a long day of work to then, you know, want to sit and, and talk about things with others for a couple of hours. But because I'm 
enjoy it so much it's it's not a difficult thing to do after the end of a long day no you can you can tell that you are enjoying it in fact I've got one of the questions we were going to ask you is how are you finding being a trustee Um, but I think it's fair to say you've answered that you're enjoying it so um, instead I'll ask you what has been your biggest challenge to date as being a trustee is there anything that's been difficult that's come up in the meetings or outside of it that is a good question actually and I don't know if this is kind of the, the right sort of answer but I think one of the biggest challenges for me is getting my head around the fact that I have the the right to be there I don't know I'm not I think I'm explaining this very well like I think no, you are point, you are I know yeah this is what we yeah. said that you 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 like, didn't think you would be a trustee yeah yeah and I was thinking, oh, well, you know, I'm here with lots of really uh, clever, experienced, professional people. And, I've, you know, I don't know that I'm really making a difference here. And so I did spend a bit of time after my first couple of meetings speaking to my governance professional. And I kind of said, you know, how do you think I'm doing? And is there any kind of training or support that you would recommend for me? Because I really want to improve with this. And she was so, so, so supportive and really encouraging. Um, and said, can I, you know, the fact that you, you're reading everything, you're engaging and you're asking questions and you're not afraid to ask questions, that that, that was a really helpful thing, uh, I think, for for the board. Um, so, yeah, kind of almost feeling like I, you know, getting, getting my confidence up a little bit, I think was one of the hardest things for me. But I feel like it's been a really valuable thing to do for myself because I think I do feel more confident now in my own kind of voice and my own contribution um so I I love being trusty I wouldn't change it <laughs> that's so lovely that's so I'm so lovely and wonderful um, I'm think, so pleased you brought that up <laughs> I know I know but kind of, they're not always looking for these all-powerful CEOs I mean sometimes some trusts are that's what we're, we we have to look for sometimes and that's fine absolutely fine if that's what they need but Danielle, what kind of skill level are we looking for in our applications? What is it that we're looking for in terms of job titles, levels, experience? What things jump out at us to signpost somebody as being an excellent potential trustee? So it varies, obviously. Um, The easiest ones to point out are, you know, your kind of executive level people, CEOs, CFOs, etc. They tend to be you know, people with years and years of experience and they usually of a certain age bracket, a certain demographic. Um, but like we said, it's that's not the only voice that should be around that board. Um, there should be people who potentially have strategic leadership skills. They might not necessarily be a CEO. They might be um, a leader of a team of, you know, 100 people or they might work in a small charity and then they've got experience of that kind of not-for-profit governance world um and new people new trustees people who are bringing a fresh a fresh pair of eyes to everything people who might have lived experience of the specific communities that the trust are dealing with um you've got people who might might not be there in their professional career but actually they've been a governor for 
ages. They've been a chair of governors. You know, they've got that experience to then be able to transfer it over and say, no, I want to start as a new trustee. Actually, I I understand the processes. I understand the system. Um, and I think I could bring that experience to the table. Um, so, yeah, I think a lot of people grapple with what Emma was saying she felt where she didn't feel like she belonged on the board but actually everybody there should be a representation of everybody on that board and it's really important that the loudest biggest most impressive kind of names and titles don't take the front seat. Yeah perfect and could you please talk people through the process of how to apply to become one of these wonderful trustees with governors for schools? Absolutely. So, well, for governors for schools, you can apply via our website. We have a trustee recruitment section um, and you'll be able to select our trustee application form. Is that? Yeah, that's exactly it. So the, it's all very self-explanatory in the form. Can we talk you through kind of like what skills you have and it helps us to match you to the perfect trust. Um, you can also make things known, like if you've got a particular trust you're already interested in, how far you're willing to travel away from your home. And you can also kind of like rank in terms of skill level, particular skills that you have. Any As much information as you can put on there will help us find you the perfect match because we want to help both sides of the table here. We want to help find you the perfect position for you. And we also want the trust to find the right person. So we're never just sending people out randomly. It's it's a very skills focused on the person, getting the right person for the for the job. We're really, really focused on that. And it's sometimes it might take a little bit longer. It's not always a quick thing. Um, sometimes some trustees will be have been with us for a couple of months before we find them the right role. Um, and other times it can be really quick. It depends on what vacancies we've got available at the moment. But we will always try and find the right thing for you. And it's very much an open discussion as well. It's not just a case of us sending you something you having to say yes to it. So we, we work with you as closely as possible to do that. Um, and with applications in mind, Emma, have you got any final words of advice for anyone thinking about becoming a trustee as if you've not made it sound amazing enough already? Uh, I think do it, really consider it, get in touch with governors for schools and you know the trustee recruitment service and talk about whether it, it might be the right thing to do. I just think it's it's been such a nice way to spend some of my time. And I feel really good about doing something nice for my community. You know, I want to live in a nice place and I feel like I'm helping to do that. I've got two small children. I want them to grow up in a nice place. And I feel really positive about, you know, being able to, to help their peers because they don't, they don't go to one of the trust schools, unfortunately. We're not quite in the right area, which is a shame. Uh, but I, I feel really good about, I don't know, trying to do something that I feel makes my area a better place. It's been really good for me because I feel good about that. I feel like it's really boosted my confidence and my skills and my knowledge. So I think it's really worth considering. And I think I would say that it's worth taking the time and working with any kind of service like the trustee recruitment service to make sure that you find the right trust for you because the values and the ethos that my trust have 
so closely align with my own that's one of the reasons I think I'm so passionate and it's so easy to be engaged uh, with what's going on in the trust because I just really believe in what they're trying to achieve and I think it's it's definitely kind of worth taking the time to find the fit that is right with you because then you know it won't be extra work it will just be a really enjoyable extra thing that you get to have in your life oh emma <laughs> just love, i feel like we should be called like the trusty matchmaking service like if everyone's just as happy as emma it's just ideal world really isn't I, don't, it? I don't know if that's just a really nerdy thing to say but everyone, no, it's, I love it's it. kind of really lovely and they're so even though i really feel like or i you know sometimes i think oh, i still feel like oh, i don't know if i should be here you know i'm having a bit of a moment of doubt they're always so positive and so encouraging and so grateful for everything that everyone is doing. It's just really lovely. Thank you so much to both of you for all of that. Hopefully we've helped highlight that you don't need to be a world leader to be a trustee. We really do need as many varied people as possible to help improve educational outcomes of young people. It's certainly a personal commitment to make, but I think Emma has really highlighted how worthwhile it can be. If you're interested in making a difference or simply want to find out more, please do visit our website and consider filling in an application at www.trusteerecruitmentservice.org.uk. You'll be able to read case studies, access free training or just have a read through of our frequently asked questions. If there is anything else you'd like to know that we haven't answered or that you can't find on the website, please do drop myself or Danielle an email at trusteerecruitment@governorsforschools.org.uk. at governorsforschools.org.uk. Thank you so much for listening.